welcome to the God is not an asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your hosts, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. Well, first of all, let me just say, as we get ready to uh, welcome our guest today, Carrie, doing this, um, which this project is still, for me, it's new and I'm learning, uh, this has given me life. Just, uh, you know, having you as a co-host is is amazing. And then every one of our guests has been enlightening and uh, just life-changing, really. Yeah, agreed. Our, our The conversations that we've been having have been so amazing, and I've really enjoyed every single one. So thank you. The feeling is mutual. Well, let's welcome uh, Veronica Castaneda, is a neurodivergent indigenous woman, says she doesn't fit in anywhere, but belongs everywhere, and we're so glad she belongs here. The saying is, ni de aquí, ni de allá, meaning neither from here nor there. She was born in San Jose, California, and was raised in the border town of Calexico, California. Veronica is the daughter of an urban Native American Vietnam War veteran father who was Protestant, uh, Pentecostal, and a rural farming Mexican immigrant mother, a, a former Roman Catholic. Veronica earned her Master's of Arts in Theology and later a Master's of Science in Marital and Family Therapy. After working over 13 years as a psychotherapist in various contexts and settings, she now considers herself an outlier of outliers clinician whose calling in life has it, has, is and always will be to serve the marginalized communities that surround her while, as uh, the late Lakota Sioux elder Richard Twist would say, following the Jesus way. So What? What's um, that? Following the Jesus way? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Veronica, I mean, there's so much we could start with, so much ground we could cover and, you know, I was just thinking, oh, you, you studied theology and, uh, you know, one of the amazing things that, that I've had to discover is the, the beauty of unlearning and relearning. And, uh, you know, you, you went to a historically white institution and, you know, it's interesting. There are things that I, when I hear people talk who are theologians, 
uh, sometimes there's a vocabulary that is used that I don't hear from people who went to, let's say, Harvard Divinity, I mean, Howard Divinity School, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, a black institution, even though they're in the same, you know, ostensibly the same field, there's a different vocabulary and a different way of, of understanding theology. And I'm sure that you have had to, you know, you've had to, in some ways, discover how you don't you fit institutionally and ideologically. And maybe you could just tell us something about that. Sure. Um, well, I thank God for my, uh, people call it disability and it's a disorder in the DSM, but I call it a gift of uh, being uh, autistic. And I was misdiagnosed. It was only a few years ago that I was actually, I was felt like, no, it, it's something else. This isn't it. So you always have somebody else telling you who you are, what you are, what you're struggling with. And unless you have that connection, I believe, with your higher power, you're not going to know. So I had that connection. Mm-hmm. I knew something's off. There's something's not right. So being in institutions, being labeled, being always trying, people always trying to impose their narrative of who I am has always been there. And I thank God for, again, this gift that I was able to be able to navigate systems, even without me knowing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who was able to help me interpret all this. As you know, you know, autistics struggle with social cues. We don't know. And so a lot of times when we say something out of being candid, people take it offensively because of ego, Mm -hmm. because of certain things. So trust me when I say that I, I, it's difficult to speak truth in a society that likes uh, nice lies or nice, you know, ego strokes or what you might call it, you know, because of titles, because of, because of status, because of whatnot, you know, but I always, as you can see at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. (laughs) That was always and has been, will be my, my approach is, um, Yes, but God says in his word, even the least of these, what you do unto the least of these, I am the least of these. Wow. And so, um, so pardon my voice if I get a little bit teary-eyed or my, my voice is broken, but I believe that's, that's my strength. I, I found that strength of my advantage is to be, um, to always have somebody impose their narrative on me and me having to show this is who God made me to be. This is who I am. You know, that that has been that blessing, that hidden blessing. Not only that, I'm very introverted. And so when people approach me, they equate uh, a quiet person with somebody who with low self-esteem, et cetera. And it's, and it's more like, no, we're, we're observants. We listen. We observe. And so when it comes, like you said earlier, I like the word deconstruction. I am deconstructing everything that I learned about my Savior. I'm deconstructing the narrative and what I told our mutual friend uh, when he told me about this podcast. He said, well, Veronica, what do you call yourself? Do you call yourself a Christian? And I said, you know what? I've learned that I'm no longer going to put labels on myself. I'm going to let other people. Uh, <laughs> decide for themselves oh yeah so 
if you want to call me a Christian, that's fine. But this is why I say I, uh, I follow the Jesus way. Why? Because that leaves room for interpretation. What do you consider it to be to follow the Jesus way? I may see it as one thing, and then other people may see it. Wow, that's a little bit of, I forget the, the theological term, but when you mix culture with, with religious beliefs, that was imposed on me a lot. Well, Veronica, you, you can't really burn sage because that's not, mm. not in the word. You know, um, you can't put up your your feathers, your eagle feathers, your hawk feathers. So, you know, my my mentor, Dr. Juan Martinez, he calls himself uh, uh, somebody who is reforming himself from machismo uh, because my mother's Mexican, my father's Native American. He says, you know what, Veronica, I'm going to try, but forgive me when I fail. And this is somebody who has many degrees, was the dean at some time of Fuller Theological Seminary and, and, and that that touched me mm. because we do need more men to open up or, or at least provide a platform for those of us who, who would otherwise not have it. You know, when I, when I read uh, womanist theologians, uh, you know, these uh, African-American women, they talk about how they came to a moment where they realized that liberation theology, or let me say, Black liberation theology was actually Black male liberation theology. And then we see something else happening in uh, the Brown community, the Mujerista um, theology, this recognition that uh, we've kind of left women out. And it sounds like you are having encounters, even with, uh, in this case, a male uh, role model, who's recognizing that there's a whole piece of uh, an important piece of theology that's been left out. Can you just kind of elaborate on that, how that feels, what that looks like to you? Um, yes. Um, so when I first came to Fuller, I mean, I, my background is Assemblies of God Pentecostal. And the reason why Native Americans feel so much more drawn to Pentecostals mm -hmm. is because we believe that the Holy Spirit still moves. We believe that the Holy Spirit still, still um, is very much alive and well when it comes. I love this <laughs> to being, you know, and present in our lives. And so, Dr. Juan Martinez, he was the first one to introduce me to inclusive language in Mexico. Uh, my mother is Mexican, or you know, some Latin American countries. We don't have the distinction of he or she. Even in the Bible, it's all him. Um, and so. Even in learning and understanding, he would say, well, well, Veronica, when you study the Holy Spirit, it is, you know, it uses female language um, in the original text. And so all of this was new to me. It was like a new world. And being so young back then, I was very humbled, like I said, because I had always known men, known men to, you know, just... Um, Women are women are not uh, preachers. We're not. We're we're kids and youth. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And hospitality. Church. Yes. <laughs> and so, so going into psychology, Doctor Juan said, "Well, Veronica, prepare yourself. That's a different." And I said, "What do you mean?" Well, again, my candidness. And so, you know, when it comes to me speaking the truth, um, 
it's it's that burning your soul that the Bible talks about. That shudders in your bones. I can't shut I can't shut up when there's injustice, when there's truth to be spoken Ooh. like prophets. And so I would say, Veronica, don't. Veronica, don't. Veronica, don't. And my family knows me for this already. <laughs> so I'd be like, okay, okay, well, let me say it in a nice way. Let me let me see what words I can use. Even as an as a neurodivergent, I understood, okay, I need to soften. I need to, but there were times where there was just no softening, when there was just outright, you know what, you're you're talking bad about my people. Have you um, before meaning uh, have you experienced that this experience that I have, David I, and I were talking about this, I think the last time we talked, where no matter how soft or kindly I point out the injustice to the dominant identity, it's never soft enough. There is there is always um, this response, you need to be nicer. You're being so harsh. And I, my thing is, how about you try to be more resilient? Because our, our society has created this identity of dominance that is is truly so fragile. In, and I don't use that as an excuse to, to that they don't that we have to coddle them. I'm I'm pointing it out to say that that we need we we need on the one hand to offer them amazing grace, which I have struggled with that reality, and also on the other hand, um, we need to offer opportunities for them to practice resilience, right? And um, and yes. and I another thing that I was telling to to David was that. Because I, as a as a white bodied woman, have been conditioned to smile and look pretty for the white patriarchy, and to never to do everything I can to condone and justify their sins and their dominance. Just the act of me, the internal work that I have to do to get to the place where I speak that truth, is so exhausting that by the time I get there, and then it comes out and it's met with that resistance, it's like, oh my god. It's so, it's so hard. And I see it, the casual, the casual racism, the casual sexism. I was on a call with somebody just this morning and they made a very racist remark and it was so casual. It was so casual for them and so easy. And it's, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And so I, what, everything that you're saying is, is resonating so much with me, even as a, as a person who is one step away from the top of the, of the power dynamic and the hierarchy in the United States, right? Resonance. Yeah. Yeah. So preach, preach to it, Veronica. It sounds like to me that the, the Holy Ghost is uh, upon you right now. So take it away. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Um, so Carrie, yes, I understand that. And you know, something that I've learned in working, I've worked uh, a little bit over seven years, eight years around there. Birth to five was, was my expertise. And let me tell you, as a clinician, to be a, a, a clinician for birth to five and in um, in the most dangerous areas of LA. So I'll leave that open for you to try to identify because I don't want to give any demographic information. I've learned to choose my battles. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've learned in trying to help my little clients with parents who who don't understand psychology or, or you know, just treatment in general for their own child. And that's their child. I know they want help for their child, but they don't understand it. So one thing that I've learned and I'm, I'm, I'm also implementing with the, with, um, you know, our followers of Jesus Christ is I need to say it first so that they don't close their ears. This is what I mean by softening. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a chance first. Let me, let me do it soft. 
let me, let me, because I want your ears open. I don't want you to shut out because I know the truth. I have it. The Lord has given it to me. But let me say it in a way, in a language, again, being bilingual and multicultural, it gives us that, that dynamic of nuances. Let me say it in a way that you might understand. Let me give you a little bit more patience, which I feel in our time is something that is, that is a virtue that is slowly going away, our patience. We hear something, we, we accept it as an attack instead of like, oh, this person is, is not informed. Yeah. They are ignorant. And so if I have the light of Christ and they don't, I need to be patient. Let me say it in this way. Do I have the right to not be patient? Yes. But what in the end, what is the outcome? Okay, so earlier you pointed out, you said that you, you identify as the least of these. Um, can, I, can I get you to uh, imagine that you were there in the neighborhood, you know, on the streets, and you're talking to one of these persons, and, and, they, you know, and you're speaking in Spanish? Can I just get you for a moment to just imagine yourself there and turn, switch uh, switch to your Spanish language and just just talk to us in Spanish right now. Because I know we'll have some listeners who resonate with that, but just go ahead and talk to us in Spanish. Okay, pues les voy a dar el ejemplo de Frida Kahlo y Diego Rivera. Yo sé que van a entender esos nombres. En aquellos tiempos, Frida Kahlo y Diego Rivera estaban en, unos, en un tiempo más allá que ahorita estamos viviendo. Ellos fueron una portavoz de lo que estaba sucediendo socialmente en muchos niveles. Diego Rivera pintó a muchos indígenas vendiendo flores porque estaba él uh, queriendo dar luz a la dinámica de la colonización. Entonces, muchos de nosotros vemos esas pinturas y ¡ay, qué bonito! Mira el indígena vendiendo flores. Pero ahorita les digo a ustedes, Ustedes ven todavía esos indígenas aquí en nuestras calles vendiendo flores, ¿sí o no? ¿Compran esas flores? Estamos igual. ¿Y cuántos años han pasado? ¿Cuántos años? ¿Cuántos años? Summarize that for those of us whose brains don't uh, work that way. So I recently had this understanding of uh, the least of these, and I pointed out the Rivera and Frida Kahlo, because we, they're prominent. You look at their paintings. They were also very uh, controversial in their time. They were ahead of their time. Well, one of the paintings, or several paintings of Diego Rivera were that of the indigenous people selling flowers, because he was trying to make a statement, uh, and also, you know, the one where there's, there's um, my grandfather was a farmer, by the way, on my Mexican side, colonization coming into the indigenous life, that they were now selling flowers just to make a living. Now, let me tell you, this is 2023. Do you still see those indigenous people selling flowers at the corner? Yes. yes. Where? You're in LA. What does that say about us? What does it say about us? Wow. We don't even think about it, right? It's, it's just, we're so, we're just so in, in, the, in the rhythm of, of our lifestyles that we forget to really think where the root of it is. The least of these. Those are the least of these for me. I am the least of these. You know, I, I, I have, um, to me, I, it's that when you are the least of these, 
The anointing abides on you. You don't have to chase it. Uh, it's there. When you speak, you speak a re- you, you manifest a reality that contradicts the perceived general cultural reality. I think that, you know, with the understanding, the clarity that you have, it's hard for you not to represent the universe. It's, it's you, you, you know, your voice, your prophetic voice. <laughs> and I think this is why, you know, we have the privilege of hosting you today, but it's not just us hosting you. Um, it's everywhere you go, whatever you do, you represent the creator. And, you know, I just, I'm honored. Carrie and I, we're honored just to be able to sit here and uh, receive your love and for us to have your patience uh, because I know that you have to fight. You, you have to fight just to, I, I'm going to say put it this way because I just don't have any other language for it right now, just to not lose your mind. Yeah. You, you have to fight to not just, to, to not lose your mind because you're, you're out here trying to explain what's going on to a world that really doesn't want to pay attention. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. You know what, what you told, what you just shared about selling flowers um, reminds me of some research that I was just doing regarding the, the time of Jesus and the ways in which Roman colonization created poverty among a people that had been perfectly fine, living sustainable lives, right? Um, but all of a sudden, this colonization came in and changed the, the economy, and then they were suddenly found themselves impoverished because now they needed this coin with a Roman, a Roman head on it, right? And it's, I'm just thinking about that. I'm thinking about the ways in which um, indigenous populations were decimated here in the United States and now have to um, assimilate into this economy and this capitalist economy that we've created and um, this, this capitalist economy that we've created and, and the, the sense of inis- how inescapable it is, right? Even for those of us who are, have begun, begun to become aware, those of us in the dominant identities who have become begun to come become aware. And it seems as if there's no way out of, of this, you know, I don't really know if I have a question or, but it's just, it's making me think about um, what your comments are making me think more deeply about those people that are very purposefully hidden from, from those of us who are dominant the realities that are, are, we are, and, and we can choose to remain ignorant. We can choose to remain ignorant and, um, and society makes it very easy for us to be ignorant. Right. So thank you. I I just want to say thank you for, for reminding me of that and, um, helping me to look more, if that makes sense. Look and see. You're wonderful. My privilege. And I, 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 um, it's a process. It's I'm not gonna say, oh, Veronica has always been this way. No, I think for me, it's the children who helps me, who, who have helps me, you know, acknowledges. And so everybody, you know, when it comes to children and teenagers, they they try to shy away. The children, oh no, they require too much. 
the teenagers, oh no, they're scary. You know, you don't know where they're coming from. And, and, and they speak my language, my, my neurodivergent language of just wanting to be seen, just wanting to be understood. And I think that's, that's, or as believers, we forget that a lot of us are misunderstood. That's a common threat. At some point or another in our lives, we have been misunderstood. And so why not give each other that grace that Jesus Christ gave us of trying to understand, you know, that God gave us, that God gives us on a daily basis. I have a, I have a question. You, I, sorry, David, go ahead. Well, Carrie, you just referenced uh, ancient Rome. And, and, you know, the city of Rome was known for making sure everybody had bread. And so everybody thought it was a great thing just to be a part of that, you know, to get bread. And here we live in, you know, this extremely affluent society. And everybody wants to come here or to Europe so they can get bread or at least get crumbs mm -hmm. or sell flowers uh, in some cases. But, you know, the West has colonized the world and the world wants to wants to come get bread. You know, what does that what does that say to you, you know, as an um as an offspring of, you know, an immigrant household, indigenous household. What does that say to you? Let me add to that. Um, my mother left my father when I was five. So this is not just an immigrant mother. She's a single immigrant mother in the 80s collecting, you know, food stamps and whatnot. So let me add a little bit more to that, to, to the needs, to the, to the bread, to the coin. Um mm -hmm. I, I have always, because my, you know, even though my, my dad was a Protestant, it was my mom. She's a theologian. She, in the Catholic church, she said, well, some things aren't matching here. Let me keep seeking. Okay, let's go to your dad's church. You know, let's, let's see what that, and so she made me study since I was a little girl. So I thank God for that, for that discipleship. And so God's word is in my heart. So this is where I'm going to, I'm giving you some context to where I'm going to go, which is uh, the Israelites in the desert with manna. What did God say? Don't say that. Only what you need. Mm. We live in a society where it's not only what we need. It's what we want. Wow. And so I heard it from Pastor Erwin McManus on the podcast last week where he even said that we're lacking faith. God created us to have faith as believers. But some of us, including myself, were like, oh, no, I need, I need a little bit of security here. I need to save a little bit more manna. And that's what rots our souls. Late stage capitalism. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we just got to buy, we got to go to, you know, Amazon Prime or yes. whatever. And we just got to get one more thing. Mm -hmm. I was, I was reading something that said it's nearly impossible these days to not buy from Amazon, even if you want to, because they own so many things that even if you think you're not buying from Amazon, you're buying from Amazon. So I have, a well, yeah, my, my prescriptions come from PillPack and then, you know, Amazon bought pill Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so you can't get away from it. <laughs> so my, I have a question. It, it, it might take us in a slightly different direction, but it was uh, based on something that we talked about, I think, in your bio. The idea of, of and I, I may miss, miss or not use the, the exact words that, that we used earlier, but the idea that you are from everywhere and nowhere, right? That idea, like, that is such a, it's such a mystical thing to, to me. It's such a mystical paradigm or idea. 
And it's also interesting because we've talked a lot in recent conversations about the space of liminality, the, the boundary walkers, right? Those people who don't fit in quite any, like anywhere in particular, but they have a foot over here and a foot over here so they can be, they can be bridge builders, right? There's so much power, but they're often lonely, right? They're often because they're walking the solitary path. And I think that there's something deeply, deeply mystical about that, about that um, ability. Um, I'm not going to even say it's necessarily chosen, but but this this walk of the solitary walk, because I think it really calls in the divine, a reliance on the divine. Can you speak a little bit to that, to that mystical aspect of the divine presence in your life? Sure. Um so I, I want to first say that those ideas were were conceptualized from Brene Brown. She's the one who, who I heard said that that she belongs everywhere. That's who I heard it from. And then um, the concept came about when Dr. Juan Martinez was uh, mentoring me. And she he also grew up in the border of Texas. I grew up in the border of California, Mexico. His was Texas and Mexico. And so... Um, I think that was the common the common thread of, of how you say there's those of us who, who feel lonely but identify, hey, you speak my language. Mm-hmm. And so when you grow in a border, you get to see a lot of interesting things. You don't just handle the American money. You you see the devaluation of the Mexican money even. Um, and so you go to a third world country, to a first world country. Oh, I don't want to go over there, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that happens. And so he said, you know what, Veronica, you and I, you said it yourself, uh, Terry, we are bridges. Mm-hmm. we are that hyphen Mexican American we're neither or we're that hyphen yeah. we're that bridge mm-hmm. so I took that to heart and I said okay I'm, I'm going to try not to cry and I said okay that means I'm not going to belong anywhere I'm going to help people cross it let them know there's somebody who understands where do you derive comfort from my mother, because if there's anybody who understands this pain, is an immigrant woman who doesn't understand the language, who's trying to feed her two girls, who's trying to, and let me just say this, hustle. Hustle has, you look in the Urban Dictionary, it means she had to hustle. She had to go to English class. Leave us alone. We're Gen X. We got, we got to have the thick skin until his day. Veronica, don't look down. Veronica, keep going. Veronica, you can't give up. You gotta keep pushing. And you have kept pushing. I mean, I mean, you have two master's degrees. Uh, you know, you're you're widely welcomed in your community with your disability. Proud of your disability. Connecting with people. Uh, through your disability, you know, we have to applaud your mother for, you know, pushing, pushing you on. Where do you find rest, we, though? Where, what about mm. rest? Where do you find rest? God gifted me with a nephew and a niece. They are my rest. They are my self-care. Where other people would say, oh, no, that's, you're, you're overextending yourself. No, um, this young man, he's going to turn 16 in a few days. A, a, 
when he was a, a few years before, he said, Nina, can I be a feminist? Guess where you got that from? <laughs> he says, Nina, can we go to church? How many young men in our right now do you know mm. they want to go to church? Mm. Take their cap off when they're praying. Mm. That's my risk. My niece is nonverbal. She's also autistic. And when I bathe her, I mean, I mean, I know it sounds maybe, I don't know, but I don't know if people, I look at her feet when I wash her feet. I tell my sister, I say, I see Jesus' feet when I wash her feet. Mm. I say, because, you know, it's, it's something that her comprehension will never know what, what I'm doing for her. And it's a hug, it's her smile when she sees me that I know is authentic. Where I can see, Lord, thank you that I have these children who I've been able to to continue your message for the next generation. Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole or text 805 805- 703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.